Who Rules the World? A new podcast by European Union youth delegates Lucia and Nadia on SoundCloud and other platforms. I am Lucia. And I'm Nadia. In Who Rules the World podcast, we will talk about the European Union and United Nations and all the burning world issues that our generation will have to face when our time comes to rule the world. Welcome back to another episode of Who Rules the World podcast. And in today's episode, we'll be addressing a very specific type of water activism. We are joined today by a toxic swimmer, Christopher Swain. And Christopher, I'm just going to pass the floor to you to explain why are you the toxic swimmer and how you became a toxic swimmer. Well, I wasn't always a toxic swimmer, but um, people (laughs) know me as someone who's swum sort of like maybe 5,000 kilometers in really dirty water. And I got going on doing entire length swims of different waterways because I was looking to create a platform to advocate for the health of the water and the health of the water environment. And I thought that for a couple of reasons, it would help to do it as a swimmer. First thing is not a lot of people swim really long distances. As opposed to like, there's people who walk a long way or run a long way. So I thought, okay, well, this is more likely to be, to catch someone's attention. Like what? You're swimming in there. Also, I wanted to have an in-person experience of the issue and of the resource. So it's one thing to talk about sewage in the river. It's another thing to swim in there with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you can, you can have that experience and share it. And it's more credible. So people can argue about environmental issues and climate issues and and adults love to argue about that stuff but they can't argue with your own experience like they can't argue with what you felt and what you saw because well all right that's what you felt that's what you saw you know you swam and poop and this is what it was like mm-hmm. and people tend to be interested in that because not everyone does that not everyone swims in like poop and trash and and oil and gasoline and all this stuff that they they kind of want to know like well, what, what's it like? I mean, mm. uh, that doesn't sound great. So it's a good conversation starter. The third thing is that um, I love the water. So when I was little, uh, I would go to the beach and stuff like on the ocean with my grandmothers. And I really have good memories of like being in the sun, playing in the water with my sisters and everything. And even um, sometimes, you know, when you're little and they buy you like the goggles or the the masks to look down, but it's like kind of, not really good quality, like plasticky thing, and it falls apart in one day, and then you're upset, or it leaks water. But I remember like looking down, and you can see like the all the ridges of the sand on the bottom of the ocean, and the and the dapples of sunlight down there. So I have all these like good childhood memories, and this was before I knew about pollution and toxic chemicals and heavy metals and all this stuff. It was just a kid who liked the water, and I think that's still there. That I'm still a at some point, uh, at some part of me is a kid who, who just wants to swim and just wants the water to be clean and thinks mm-hmm. that would be fair. And people got going calling me the toxic swimmer because there was all this, this junk and chemicals and metals and everything in the water I was swimming in. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm not personally <laughs> toxic now, but I, I can see the temptation to like call me that. They call me like the toxic Avenger, the toxic swimmer, you know, garbage man, all these things, so. 
But I guess you didn't, you know, start swimming in toxic water because you wanted a conversation starter. I guess there's something more behind it. Could you maybe elaborate a bit on, you know, what actually inspired you to become a, a water activist and what is the burning world issues that you want to address by, by doing that? I wonder, but I have this thing where like, I really want everyone to get the same fair deal. And I think as a kid, I realized like, if everyone doesn't, if it doesn't work for everyone, it doesn't work. Everybody just fights. So I was like, well, uh, all these solutions where it doesn't work. So if someone says, I'm going to like pull water out of this river, I'm going to use it in my factory operations. I'm going to mess it up with all these chemicals and sludge and everything else and toxic things. And I'm going to dump it back in. And then I'm going to make money because I made things with this, you know, process that I did. Well, that's great. They make money, but the river gets messed up. So that's a bad deal for all the life in the river. But it's also unfair to everyone else who wants to use the river. So if you're going to fish or you're going to swim or you're going to paddle your kayak, it's unfair. So I think part of it was the fairness issue. And the first big swim I did was actually a swim for universal human rights that I did in the summer of 1996. And I swam um, 200 miles down the bottom, the lower part of the Connecticut River. And uh, that went through four New England states. So it went through like New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts. And it was kind of silly because my idea was I'm going to swim and then I'm going to give out copies of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So I printed it on like two sides of an eight and a half by 11 paper. But then, of course, imagine this, like you're swimming, but you were carrying pieces of paper that you want to hand out. Like that's not a good idea, right? The paper gets wet. So this is how it started. But as I was swimming, one of the issues that I was talking about was like, I think it would be more fair if the water were clean. So long story short, the Swim for Human Rights, what people wanted to talk to me about was not human rights, but they're like, do you know what you're swimming in? Do you know about the sewage? Do you know about the chemicals? Do you know about all this contaminated runoff? Like, are you getting sick? There's like neurotoxic pesticides in there. Like, what are you doing? Do you see how the water's green? That's bad. You know, all this kind of thing. So they would want to talk to me about that. So even though it was just one little piece that I was talking about was the water quality, the clean water piece of the whole sort of human rights thing, that's what everyone wanted to talk about. So I, I figured that out right then in 96. I'm like, oh, so if you swim, you're automatically starting that. And I think what was driving me was like, I love the water and I don't think it's fair that it should be clean. The other thing that was driving me was I learned about the laws. So in this country, in America, there's a federal law, the Clean Water Act, that passed in 1972. And it said all the navigable waterways in the United States need to be clean by like the mid-1980s. Well, that didn't happen, as you know. But I remember feeling like I was in my 20s and just getting really mad. And I'm like, those people stole this river from me. And I'm going to go steal it back. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to swim the whole thing. I'm going to take pictures and video. I'm going to out everything they're doing to wreck this river. I'm going to make a big public thing about it. I'm going to make it so awkward for them that they're going to clean it up. And when people ask me why I'm doing it, because I'm a swimmer and I want to be clean and this isn't right. This doesn't feel right to me in my heart. So you already touched upon people wondering you're swimming in these chemicals and these you know toxic waste and everything, um, and probably also the listeners will wonder while listening to you you know swimming the these long rivers, how do you stay safe while you're swimming um, in all these polluted waters? And what are some of the precautions that you take to protect yourself from exposure to to exposure uh, to bacteria and toxins? Okay, so there's three kinds of swimming that I would do. 
um, one kind of swimming is you just wear like your bathing suit, like you guys would wear if you went to the beach, right? No special protection, just like bathing suit. I mean, goggles maybe so you can see, but the water's clean enough that you don't really have to worry. And it's warm enough that you're not freezing cold. So just do that. And th there are some swims that are clean enough. So <clears throat> you can do them. And the point of the swim is to say something like, hey, this is a beautiful, pristine waterway. Let's protect it. Let's not pollute it. Let's keep it safe. And look, I don't need any special thing. The next layer is if I'm swimming and I have to wear a wetsuit because it's kind of gross what I'm swimming in, but I'm not going to get really sick or it's cold enough that my body's going to get cold. So then we're talking about wetsuit, earplugs, cap, goggles, mm -hmm. right? Something like that. Sometimes uh, scuba gloves and stuff. Depends if there's stuff I can hit my hands on or if it's cold and scuba boots. When it's really bad, I wear a dry suit. So a dry suit is like what you would see search and rescue people wearing or the kayakers wearing when you don't want to get wet at all. So it has like um, kind of latex and silicone seals around the neck and around the wrists and around the ankles. And then you zip the suit up a watertight zipper. So no water comes through the suit, right? Mm -hmm. So it, the water never touches you. And then above here, you have to like put what I put water barrier cream or um, like similar to Vaseline, but not like non-petroleum jelly. So water can't actually get to my skin. And then again, the earplugs and the goggles. But then if water gets in my mouth, like um, on the Gowanus Canal or Newtown Creek. So if you looked right across from the United Nations, like the creek you can see coming out there is Newtown Creek. So that's one of the dirtiest waterways in the world, right? Full sewage, oil, gasoline, site of one of the largest uncontained oil spills in America, like underground oil spills. It's terrible. So I've swum that, right? <clears throat> and when I'm in there, I, I can't get any water in my skin or any water in my mouth because it could get sick. So if I get water in my mouth, splash in when you're swimming or whatever, then I gargle with hydrogen peroxide solution, like swish it around and spit it out. If I swallow water, I take activated charcoal tablets. So it'll bind with whatever the molecules are that I'll stuff that I get in me. And if I get sick, then they'll culture me and try to figure out, okay, these are the pathogens he has. These are the bacteria he has. Let's give him like antibiotics or antivirals for those things. The other thing I do, and um, I just make jokes about my grandmothers about this, but like when I'm swimming in very dirty water, like Newtown Creek, in a situation like that with a dry suit, I don't put my head in the water. So I'll leave my head up and I'll just like breaststroke like this. But um, you know, like my grandmothers used to swim this way. And I joke, they did it because like they would go and do their hair like once a week and then they want it to be, to stay and they would spray it, you know, so they would never get their hair wet. And I have gotten sick before. I've gotten rashes. Um, what else have I had? Um, ear infections, tons of ear infections, um, respiratory infections, like in nose and throat stuff. And then kind of overuse injuries from swimming itself, like, you know, hurt your shoulder or whatever. I've also hit things in the water, cars and refrigerators and all kinds of stuff that people have thrown into waterways. And so I'd like, it'll cut through my gloves, it'll cut my hand or whatever. And then you're, you know, bleeding or whatever. So you, or you bang into stuff and you get bruised or you get like through the rapids or a waterfall and you get like a, bit, a little bit banged up. So, but those, those aren't so much from the chemicals. That's insane what you're, you know, putting yourself through to, you know, prove a point and to get some attention on this important issue. So, so to go more over to, to the theme, can you maybe elaborate a bit on your concerns in, in general for the next decade on, you know, how you think that it will probably go in regards to protecting water and, you know, why we're not good enough as a society? This is a tough one because, of course, on the policy side, like 
all the solutions are known. It's not like so complicated what to do. Like when I go to a kindergarten class, you know, I ask the kids, I say, do you think it's a good idea if every time it rains in New York City, everybody flushes all their toilets right into the river? And they'll say, no, that's a crazy idea. Why would you do that? And, but that's the grown up plan, right? So I think on the policy side, there's plenty of simple solutions. Like if you, know, if you can build the International Space Station and an iPhone and all these things, great. Then figure out a way that you don't have to dump all your trash and all your sewage and all these things in the river. So the policy solutions, I don't think are that complicated. I think what you're dealing with is like people's will and political will, like what, what's convenient and what's easy. Mm-hmm. And so I think people wanna do things to help clean up the water as long as it's relatively easy and as long as it doesn't cost them money. Like if everything we did affected us, we wouldn't do it. In other words, would you really go and dump oil and gasoline and sewage in your bathtub and then go take a bath? No, right? Why would you do that? So if you, because it's yours, it's part of your world. So if you felt like this was all you, I don't think you would do it. So I think that's the first thing is there's this relationship problem. You're never going to meet like a surfer or a swimmer that is okay with dirty water, right? Because they're going to get affected by it every day. So they, they use the water, they love the water, and then they want it to be clean. Or someone who's fishing, it's like, well, I don't want all the fish to be dead because then there's no, there's no fish. So please keep it clean, this kind of thing. So I feel like one of the things people can do to help, but it's not so much a policy thing, is they can go use and enjoy the water. So the more time we can spend building relationships with waterways, building relationships with environment, building relationships with the living world, the more likely we are to protect it. And then instead of trying to get everybody to do environmental protection and conservation, it'll take care of itself because we protect the people and places that we love. I truly hope that some people who will be listening to this podcast will do so on their walk around the lake or next to the water to really get the gist of this message. Um, But Valerie, also in your opinion, maybe if we move also to the solutions, not just why we pollute because we're crazy people, but what are some innovative solutions that have been actually implemented uh, to address water-related challenges? And how can we also scale up these solutions to have broader impact? Um, and maybe here you can also elaborate on how can what's the role here of businesses and corporations to become better stewards of water resources? I think that on the business side, I'll start by your last thing first. On the business side, the easiest thing to do is incentivize businesses and corporations to do stuff. And there's a bunch of ways you can do that. But two easy ways are, one, you could create a more favorable tax structure for businesses who take better care of the environment, who make choices that might be more expensive to make initially, but that will ultimately result in environmental protection. The other thing you can do is you can actively reward those businesses. Like you can create um, financial incentives that, that are given to businesses that do stuff. Like you can give the businesses who are doing environmental protection government grants, access to better loan programs, these things like you can make, you can create rewards for businesses who do those things. I think the way to deal with businesses, especially for-profit businesses is deal with them the way they're used to be dealing with, like give a financial reward for the thing. I'm less enamored of the fines and all that. Yes, I mean, pay fines if you you make a mistake, but I think that people, it's it's always better to offer a reward. So that's what I would say on the business side. Um, in terms of other scalable solutions worldwide, the number one thing we should do 
is go out there in every nation, in every country, every continent and say, where are the pristine waterways? Where, where are the least damaged places in the water ecosystem? The watersheds that are the most uncontaminated, the, the most, the closest to their original natural pure state. And we should immediately move to protect all of them. I think that would be a thing to do. So on the cultural side, create a context where it becomes fashionable, it becomes cool to, or associated with um, influencer, celebrity type of spaces to do this kind of work. And then it, then it becomes thing. The other piece that I think you could scale pretty easily is put into elementary education and middle school education, like cross-curricular things that are focused on environmental things, like have a cross-curricular unit on climate for every fourth grader or something. You know, so then you then you like you look at the history, the math, the literature, the music, the things that all these things associated with climate across every curriculum area and then get kids starting to think about it and make it real and understand it in their own terms. Like, what could they do? I think if more kids got activated, then they'd be willing to do it. Yeah, thank you so much. And you might know that, you know, Water Day is taking place on March 22 and the same with the UN Water Conference taking place around that day as well. What do you have any special plans for, for Water Day? Sometimes on World Water Day, I go throw myself into the dirtiest water that I can find. But um, the other thing I try to remember on World Water Day is, you know, when you look at the globe, like on um, the, the planet, like in 3D, If you look at that, it's mostly ocean. And then those continents are just islands. And so that's one thing I try to remember on World Water Day. All of us are living on islands, surrounded by water. Water is the thing that connects and unites all of us. And we're on a water planet. And I think that what that should tell you, even if you're not a scientist or a teacher, is Maybe water is pretty important. And with this beautiful message about our beautiful blue planet, uh, I would like to wrap up our podcast for the day. Uh, it was extremely interesting to listen to everything that you do. And I truly hope that all your toxic swims turn into clean swims in a, very soon. Um, and we are looking forward to see where you're going to swim on the 22nd of March. <laughs> thank you for joining us in this podcast. You're welcome. Take care. And thank you both for all the work that you're doing to create the platform and to get the word out. This was Who Rules the World podcast by European Union Youth Delegates, Lucia and Nadia. WRW coming soon with next episode on SoundCloud and other platforms.